I am Angus Kebble, and welcome to Factor Magri, the Viticulture Series. Working with New Zealand wine growers, this weekly show delves into New Zealand's grape growing regions and industry. We will be looking at sustainability and the different varieties that are making waves in our international markets, with a focus on the people and characters that bring your favourite bottle to life. New Zealand's wine industry is young by global standards, but it has quickly become a respected wine producing nation. New Zealand's wine regions are typically found, with some exceptions, on the east coast of both the North and South Islands, and each region and sub-region contain their own unique soil and climatic conditions. Due to mountain ranges that run through the centre of both islands of New Zealand, the east coast is typically dry, as these ranges block our predominant weather which flows from the northwest to southwest directions. With irrigation, water application can be managed which gives the wine grower certain controls over the performance of the grapevines and ultimately the concentration of the fruit. New Zealand is home to the world's most southerly vineyards and they benefit from the moderating effect of our maritime climate and long sunshine hours and cool nights that provide perfect environments for grapes to thrive. Hawke's Bay has a diverse and varied landscape Situated on the eastern side of the Ruahine mountain range in New Zealand's North Island, it is well known for its full-bodied reds and rich complex Chardonnay. In the second instalment of Hawke's Bay, I'm talking with Emma Taylor, who is the General Manager of Vineyard Plants, who supplies vines to New Zealand's wine industry, and I take a closer look at the sub-regions that make up this superb wine region. Firstly, let's check in with Emma. Hello Emma, thank you for talking with me today. Hi, nice to nice to talk with you, Angus, as well. Please, can you tell me about the work that you do? So, I am uh, the general manager of Vineyard Plants, which is a grapevine nursery owned by Villamaria Estate in Hawke's Bay. And I also am the chair of the Vine Nursery Association, VINA, which is the New Zealand Viticulture Industry Nursery Association. How many vines and what varieties do you supply to New Zealand's vineyards? So, uh, Vineyard Plants supplies about half a million, just under half a million vines to New Zealand vineyards. But the New Zealand, the Nursery Association as a whole, applies between two and a half to three and a half million vines each year to the industry. So we see that predominantly we are supplying Sauvignon Blanc vines, which is the bulk of the industry, which makes sense. And then there's a split between Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Bordeaux Reds after that. What is the purpose of a clone in respect to a vine and how does this work? So each uh, variety, so let's take uh, Chardonnay for example, that has uh, several different clones or field selections depending on how the, the clone was born. Um, so Chardonnay has a number of famous ones, Mendoza, Clone 15, Clone 95, um, that are used. And what a clone does is that the variety is still Chardonnay but the clones each have slightly individual characteristics. So for example, Mendoza Chardonnay will have lots of big and little berries, which is called hens and chickens. And that will give um, a range of ripeness which, within the bunch, which will add complexity to the flavor. Um, clone 95 will give you higher yielding, very fruit driven, uh, low acidity, acidity wines. So each clone so it's, they're all still Chardonnay and genetically they can't be told there's no difference genetically between a clone. However, physically, well, that we can manage at the moment, to tell you the truth, but mm. physically um, the, the vines look differently and they perform differently. And so normally the, you know, the wine industry is a very long um, 
fashion industry. It's got a long history, especially back in Europe. And so the clones have been um, mutations that have happened naturally out in the field. And someone's picked up that that vine is performing differently. And then they have um, taken cuttings from that vine and reproduced it. And it's found that the characteristics are stable. That is that you can reproduce it time after time. And it, that vine is still showing those differences. And that's how a clone is, is um is born in a way yeah that's really interesting so uh, all the clones that we use here in new zealand come from overseas or are there clones being developed here oh, that's an interesting question at the moment so at the moment um all clones have been developed overseas yeah and they mostly come out of france or they've come out of california as well as clones you have uh, field selections which means that a block of um a block might have been planted years ago and no one's got a record of what actually it is and it performs really really well and so let's say um tomato estate for example has a block of cab salve that is doing really well and is um performing for all of their top varieties and they want to plant another cab salve block so they just want to replicate what they've got so they'll take a field selection cutting from mm. that block and it will be called the tomato cab salve for example so it, that one doesn't exist as far as I know, but that's just yeah. an example. So um, so field selections, there's quite a few examples of field selections within New Zealand that have happened. And in fact, Sauvignon Blanc MS is a field selection and that's our most widely planted clone or you know type of Sauvignon Blanc. But all other clone developments like the Chardonnay 95 and the 15, they've all come in from overseas, they've all been imported. So at the moment, it's really hard to import any plant material into New Zealand. It's, it's very hard, it's super expensive, um, it's very risky, and so there's not, and in fact, the import, you know, you can't, you can't get importation space for plant, new plant material in New Zealand for at least five or six years, and then it takes time once it's in here, so it's actually not an easy process, and it's effectively, the borders are almost closed for plant importation in New Zealand at the moment, and so wine growers are actually in the process of, um, doing their first lot of research into trying to generate clones in New Zealand by trying to force clones to mutate, which is what I talked about before in the field, um, trying to force, trying to speed that process up in the lab um, and see if we can generate our own clones. And, and that's, you know, um, most people would be familiar with different apple varieties like Jazz and Envy and even different kiwi fruit varieties. You know, they've got kiwi fruit gold and the new red kiwi fruit. So those have all been developed through crossbreeding. But in the wine industry, there's lots of rules about crossbreeding and you can't do it. It creates hybrids and then there's problems about actually putting hybrids into your bottle and trying to call it wine still. So we can't crossbreed. Yeah, we've got a we're relying on natural um, natural mutations and so yeah so the wine industry is looking at doing some research into that at the moment and that's very exciting indeed do you find that some clones or rootstocks are better suited to organic practices for example yes the the most important thing for organic practices is actually the rootstock and that is because um, managing organically it's if if you've got the roots growing right into the good depth it becomes a lot easier because then you're not having to worry about weed competition and um, you're more resilient to water stress as well so um, so some vines uh, some rootstocks that have deeper roots and um, slightly more vigorous roots as well are better suited to organic um, 
management than say the roots that are root stocks that are shallow rooting and like to um, sit in the top few surfaces of the soil and, and, and hug the drip line. Yeah. Sustainability is a word that is used quite regularly. What is sustainability to you? Well, there's, um, being in the nursery industry, we're so connected to the wine industry. So there's two forms of sustainability. There's sustainability, environmental sustainability, in the way that we um, manage our vines out in the field. Yeah. And we're, nurseries are a lot more intensive than a normal vineyard. So we grow 70,000 vines a hectare, whereas compared to a normal vineyard growing two to 3,000. So 70,000 per hectare? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we're, but the, you know, we are putting them in, we're only growing them in the field for um, nine to 10 months. Mm. And, um, and, and we really treat them like they are little babies. Yeah. We look after them well. There's no stressing out of, um, of the nursery vines compared to, you know, in a vineyard, you know, keep in mean. Often produces the best wine is, is the third feelings. But, um, so yeah, so we're a lot more intensive. But, um, because we don't have fruit, we don't have the same number of um, diseases as well, like botrytis, or you can get a little bit of powdery mildew, but not, so it's quite easy to control a nursery organically. And so a lot of nurseries in New Zealand, they're not certified organic, they're not jumping up and down that they're organic, but their field practices especially will be pretty, pretty low input. But because we are 70,000 vines a hectare, or similar numbers to that what is one of the most important things for us is our soil health and so having good crop rotation policies in place where you crop your you use your soil for the nursery for a few years and then you put it in a cover crop and let that soil rest for a few years as well so that's really important for nurseries because making sure that you're not um that you're returning nutrients back to the soil and you're not um you know, obviously we do, because we're only in the vine for a short amount of time, there is a lot of soil cultivation. And so just giving that soil time to rest and recover is really important. So that's the environmental sustainability side of the nursery. And then as well, we're also um, linked into the wine industry and making sure that that is sustainable. And so that for us, that does mean that we are quite focused on the fact that there, a lot of New Zealand's wine industry is planted with one variety and one clone of that variety. And that is a huge, you know, biosecurity risk um, to the industry. And so, so the industry is keen to support, you know, the, the new genetics um, that the, they're looking at with breeding, well, not breeding, but developing new mm. clones. And also, you know, the nursery industry has been responsible for most of the imports over time. Is there a focus on growing vines that are more resilient in terms of water requirements, and disease resistance, and are certain varieties more vulnerable to disease than others? Yes, yes and yes. So there's two parts to that question. The first part is, is there a focus on looking at um, varieties that are more, um, you know, disease, uh, drought resistant and disease resistant? And yes, there definitely is. And we have um, five main rootstocks in New Zealand, uh, which is 3309, 10114, Schwarzman, SO4, and Rapera Grower. Um, out of those, SO4 is is probably the one that is a little bit more resistant, you know, drought tolerant. However, um, each rootstock has a positive and a negative with it, you know, that you've got to kind of match the soil. But Paulson is another rootstock that's not that common in New Zealand, but we are getting increasing requests for it now because it is more drought tolerant. 
Um, and so definitely when people are planting their vineyards, they are a lot more conscious that the irrigation that they've been able to access in the past is not going to be as freely available in the future and they're trying to make decisions that are going to future-proof their vineyards for that. So that's definitely... Um, what was the name of that rootstock? It's Paulson, P-A-U-L-L-S-E-N. We graft American so it's vitis, uh, American vitis, which is American grapevines, yep. onto the European nursery stock, which is the vitis vinifera. So the, the top is your variety, which is... Um, you know, your Chardonnay, your Sauvignon Blanc, your Pinot Noir, and then the, the bottom, the actual roots, come from American-based rootstock. And the American-based rootstock um, don't normally fruit, they're not fruiting grapevines, they're just vegetative. And the reason that we can't grow the, the European Vitis vinifera on its own roots is because um, there's a soil nematode called Phyllotsera, that we have over here in New Zealand, and that um, devigorates the vines. You can't see it in the soil, you can't clear it out of your soil because it's such a little tiny pest. Um, and so, but it, it gets in there and it nibbles away on the roots of the Vitus vinifera and the vines will eventually die. Mm. So in order, to, um, in order to reduce the impact of that soil nematode, we graft the um, Vitus vinifera onto the American rootstock. Yeah, it's the American rootstock. Because phyllops were originated in America, the American rootstocks are all tolerant of it and they can handle it in their soil. Um, and so that's that's a worldwide practice. That's just, that is standard practice worldwide to graft bitters vinifera mm. onto American rootstocks. So I guess by producing vines that are more drought resistant and disease resistant, by default, you're actually creating more of an organic vineyard anyway because the inputs will naturally be less. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so people are making... Definitely making choices when they are planting their vineyards now that are going to reduce their input requirements. Yeah, so it's a definite. There's a definite sway in in that. You know, some of the clonal varieties, the clonal choices that people are making as well, especially with um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, which have some of the better, you know, the most choice in New Zealand. They are definitely being. You know, there's no none of them in New Zealand are completely resistant to disease. Mm. But um, some of them certainly have different shape of their bunch, different bunch architecture, we call it, which might mean that they're more prone to disease. So you might see someone in Gisborne, for example, choose not to plant Chardonnay Clone 95 because those bunches can get quite tight. And in a humid conditions, which you're more likely to get in Gisborne, the bunches are more likely to rot. <laughs> so... Mm. Um, and you're going to end up having to spray a lot of chemicals on that to, to stop that from happening. So if you can just not plant that clone in the first place, then you're going to reduce that chemical demand. Mm. Yeah, definitely people are cho choosing, making wise choices for the environment when they're choosing their base material. Are you seeing vineyards being pulled out and replanted for that very purpose? Or for, no, that, very, for that very reason? No. no, I wouldn't say that. So the um, I'd, if you're following the New Zealand wine industry trends, so a lot of vineyards in New Zealand were planted in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, that was when the industry really started taking off. And um, it means that those vineyards are now 20 to 25 years old. And unfortunately, that is about the life cycle span of a vineyard in New Zealand because we get um, trunk diseases and we get um, viruses, which we uh, weren't very good at managing for at the, st at the start. Um, and so 25, 
years is about 25 to 30 years is about the maximum age and so we're starting to see some of those vineyards getting pulled out now just because of age because they're reducing in their performance in terms of yield and um and quality and so it's when those vineyards are getting replanted that the owner or the manager is making wise wiser decisions about what to replant with what makes hawks bay such a good wine producing region Hawke's Bay. So Hawke's Bay has got great soils. If you're looking at the Gimlet Gravels, you know that is a really unique um, spot of New Zealand. But it also has a really good climate. It's quite uh, inland. A lot of the development in Hawke's Bay is happening a little bit further inland towards Marae, Kākāhō and Crownthorpe. And it has a quite continental, as continental as you can probably get in New Zealand climate and the fact that it is um, a high diurnal range. Yeah, nice hot, hot, dry days and then um, cooler temperatures at night compared to when we're a little bit more coastal in Hawke's Bay, which is where a little bit more of the traditional development has gone on. So Hawke's Bay can do a number of varieties um, really well. So it can do really good Bordeaux reds. There's some fantastic Syrahs coming out of Hawke's Bay and then, um, and of course, great Chardonnays. And then the further inland it develops when it's that donor range increases, we're starting to come into some country that can also do the, some of those aromatics, including Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir. So it's, it's a diverse region. Yeah, it's very regionally zoned, sub-regionally zoned within it, um, which can make for a complex marketing story. I understand that one, but it also mm. makes for a great region to be... Um, you know, to be in viticulture, to tell you the truth, because there is such a wider variety. Is there anything new emerging from a sustainability perspective or advancements being made? And how much of a role is technology playing? So a lot of, you know, necessity bears um, invention. Isn't that what they say? Something like that. Um, so, um, and so the industry historically has been very labour intensive and, you know, labour prices are going up. And so some of the latest um, innovations, I suppose you'd call them, based around saving labour, have actually been quite clever and quite smart. And one of the big things is the mechanical shaking for disease control. So that is utilising your harvester to shake the vines um, pre-bunch closure around January time, um, which removes the trash, which is any little um, interessences that haven't, um, haven't set. And removing that trash is removing the disease you know the host potential host for disease which which is actually in turn then reducing the need for some of the chemical sprays that we used to rely on so those kind of innovations where the result is um, reduced input um, and reduced synthetic input um, are really and then reduced labor input are really highly adopted by the industry the New Zealand wine industry is a great industry of adopters you know if they see something that's working really well they adopt it and they carry forward with it and i think that's one of the success stories for the why the news and wine industry is so successful is that it doesn't ever get set and we've done it this way this is how my father did it this is how my father before him did it we don't get stuck in those kind of um this is the only way to do it we're very outward facing when it comes to new technology and science. As an industry as a whole, New Zealand is quite agile and willing to try new things and adopt new techniques and use technology yeah. to make advancements. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, like even with our water management and our vine management, you know, the especially with water management, I think that uh, you know, I think that New Zealand wine growers are actually very um, 
are very good at going, okay, we can't be using as much water as what we used to beforehand. What can we be doing to um, reduce our water use? And changing the practice, you know, it used to be that everyone would irrigate their vineyards every day or every second day, whereas now people are doing um, more intensive um, irrigation, but further apart. So trying to build up resilience in their vines, um, trying to really um, reflect rainfall as well. So rainfall doesn't give you us a little bit every day, unfortunately. It gives us a lot and then not much, and then a lot and not much, and a lot of rain after not much rain in a vineyard was um, historically a very bad thing because it would cause, cause berries to blow up and split and which then would cause disease mm. um, but if we are managing those vines so that they're used to having a lot of rain and then nothing and then a lot of rain and then nothing the roots are deeper um, they're more they're less likely to take up all that um, sudden intensive rain overnight they're more likely to um, pick it up as it trickles through the soil profile and that creates more resilient vines and um, yeah and the industry picks up on that you know it can see the sense in changing its practice for its betterment and and will pick up on that kind of stuff quite, mm. quite quickly. Is New Zealand's wine industry in good stead do you think? Uh, yes I think it is in good stead. Um, we have a great reputation overseas um, and the overseas market is where most of our product goes. So it's really important that we retain a, our reputation for being high quality. You know, there's no point in the New Zealand wine industry trying to sell its product in the low quality, cheap and cheerful range. We need to retain a high quality reputation and we have that. And the clean green image that New Zealand has, that we often debate about internally, but we certainly have that overseas in our you know, latest COVID response has helped that to tell you the truth that's really important for the wine industry and it's really important that the wine industry maintains its progression that it's made in sustainability and and innovation so that we can keep to the forefront of that internationally yeah so if we as long as we're maintaining our market in the high quality area and and making sure that everyone knows that we are sustainable then we are in, we're in a good place going forward thank you very much for your time today emma no worries. Thanks, Angus. Thank you to Emma Taylor for joining me in this episode. It was very interesting to get a better understanding of her business and an insight of how vines are produced here in New Zealand. I'm sure listeners found that as interesting as I did. Hawke's Bay is diverse and the growing conditions vary dramatically in the region. In the north you have the Esk Valley with its narrow opening to the sea which provides excellent shelter. It produces the region's earliest ripening grapes due to warmer sea influences and air drainage. Predominantly alluvial silt with pockets of silty gravels, plantings here are dominated by Merlot, Chardonnay, Malbec and Cabernet Franc. Inland central Hawke's Bay reaching an altitude of 300 metres, vineyards are characterised as being cooler areas showing potential for Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir. Limestone hills gravelly stony plains make up the vineyards on these three major geological features. The upper reaches of the Nararoro River Valley shelter the inland elevated terraces of Riverview, Crownthorpe, Matapero and Mangatahi. These produce some of Hawke's Bay's finest Chardonnays. Pinot Noir has also been planted here and producing quality fruit. Some of the region's earliest wineries began in the Heratonga Plains, which include the extensive plantings of Korokipo as well as Taradale and Miani. 
where the history of Hawke's Bay winemaking began. Further inland is Bridge Pa, Gimlet Gravels and Ohiti. These areas were formed over several thousands of years by the changing course of the lower Nararoa River as it left red metal free-draining alluvial soils, gravel and stony terraces. The accumulated heat and daily temperature range together with the free-draining qualities of the soils are the reason many of Hawke's Bay's wineries and vineyards have established plantings of Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon and other red varieties. The maritime influence of the Pacific Ocean extends into much of Hawke's Bay. The two grape growing areas located right on the coast enjoy the full effects of the temperate climate and long growing season. The gravelly soils of Bayview in the northern Esk River Valley and Tewonga in the south are well regarded for their quality Chardonnay grown and early ripening reds. The Tukituki River flows behind Havelock North and has built up a series of river terraces on both banks. Although predominantly planted in Chardonnay and other white varieties, the valley has a long history of producing premium red wine. There is also serious potential for further vineyard development on the eastern side of the Tukituki River to the southeast of Havelock North. The Tutaikuri River Valley has a diversity of soil type and growing environment that is mirrored in its equally diverse range of plantings. The plantings are dominated by Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. This river valley includes the Whitecliff, Woodthorpe, Dartmoor Valley and Motio areas. This area has shown some of the highest growing season temperatures in the region. Hawke's Bay has a bounty of cellar doors, winery restaurants, vineyard accommodation and wine experiences. This is a dream destination for wine lovers. The diversity in wine is matched by the diversity in landscape as the region's wineries and tasting rooms are scattered throughout plains, mountain peaks and valleys, and coastal cliffs. New Zealand is a special place, and the wines we produce and the people that craft each vintage are shining bright on the international stage. Thank you for listening, and catch you next time on Factor Magri, the Viticulture Series.